0: Hi, I'm Tierney Sutton, and you're listening to Jazz's Backstage Pass.
1: And I'm your host, Brian Zimmerman. My guest today is jazz vocalist Tierney Sutton who has received a Grammy nomination for Best Jazz Vocal Album for every album she's put out in the last 10 years. She's a master interpreter of the Great American Songbook, but her view of the jazz canon is all-encompassing. In addition to tribute albums by artists like Frank Sinatra and Bill Evans, she's also recorded entire albums dedicated to the work of Joni Mitchell and Sting. Tierney's latest project is the album Screenplay, on which the Tierney Sutton Band sets their sights on the wide ranging panorama of film music. The ambitious 19 track project is being released in five installments. The first was released in February and features the music of Alan and Marilyn Bergman. The second dials in on the golden age of film music from 1939 to 1945. Each release comes with supplementary material, including an exclusive podcast. In 2016, the Tierney Sutton Band, which features her longtime creative partner, pianist Christian Jacob, was approached by the legendary director Clint Eastwood to score his film Sully, featuring Tom Hanks. My conversation with Tierney picks up as she reminisces about what it was like to record with Clint Eastwood and how that experience shaped her decision to dedicate her follow-up project to the music of the silver screen. You know, I wanted to walk back to 2016 when you're invited to... Record the Soundtrack for Sully by Clint Eastwood. Right. Was that kind of your first foray into composing, writing, arranging for film?
0: Um, Well, actually, the band had done the score to an independent film way back in 2002. And we've all done a bunch of things on soundtracks over the years. I've worked uh, for Mark Isham and... um, other, other composers, I've done songs in certain films. I did a song in The Cooler years ago, uh, William H. Macy's film. And, and, and the guys have played on a gajillion soundtracks. But this was the second time that the band was contacted. And at first, Christian and I didn't know exactly what Clint had in mind. We thought he was maybe just going to use some bits of our existing stuff. But he invited us over to Warner Brothers, showed us um, a rough cut of the film, and everybody was there, all the editors and big cheeses. And after the film was done, uh, Clint looked at Christian and me and said, so what do you think? And we said, oh, he wants us to score this whole thing. Wow. And so we took the he – had, he had put in a couple of – a cappella cues of me singing things, and one simple piano cue of Christian from one of his albums, and and that was the only temp music in there. And so then, in in very short order, really within two weeks, actually about four days after that, we were in the studio with Clint, um, with several ideas, and recording to film with the the band, and then later Christian wrote amazing orchestrations and we had a string date and all that.
1: Very so. cool.
2: Tell me your story. I'll tell you mine. Sing me your song. I'll follow. Ding.
1: let's shout these guys out a bit. Who uh, you can explain to our listeners who Christian is. Um, I know. Uh, Christian Jacob.
0: Yep. Yeah. Christian Jacob is an amazing pianist, uh, composer, arranger. Um, This band of mine has been together over 25 years and, and uh, he's, he's done a lot of composing and arranging for other people. Um, And uh, did the next Clint Eastwood film uh, on his own, just wrote a, wrote a score and and uh, and did that. Um, the other guys in the band, we have two bassists, Trey Henry, uh, who does a lot a lot of the creative work in the band as well. Uh, Kevin Axt, a, 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 who's just a force and plays on everything, and uh, Ray Brinker on drums, uh, who's really something special too. So we've all been working this way for 25 years, we sort of collaborate until very recently, we would just lock ourselves in, in rooms together and, and come up with arrangements. Somebody would have a seated idea and we'd all hop on it and play it and go through this whole process. And we did that for gosh, about nine or 10 albums together.
1: Very nice. Yeah. And you all reconvene, um, on your latest project, which is called screenplay, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about um, what screenplay is and where the idea for it came from and whether your, you know, kind of experience working on Clint Eastwood's film led to this decision to interpret film music?
0: Well, it, it definitely had something to do with that choice. We realized after working with Clint um, that we... Living in L.A. and being a jazz, a group of jazz musicians who are in L.A., we'd all been working in the film industry and music for film for our whole careers on some level. And looking at the canon of jazz standards, so many of these songs were actually written for films. A lot of Irving Berlin's stuff was written for films. It wasn't written for musicals. So some of this stuff comes from musical theater, but a lot of it actually comes from film. So we realized, even of the stuff that we'd already recorded, a lot of it was for film. And we wanted to release, again, the music that we created for Sully. And there were there was the the end title song uh, that I wrote lyrics for with with uh, a writing partner, um, J.B. Eckel, and we we wrote these lyrics to one of Clint's themes. Uh, And that became the end title of the film. But there was another song, Arrow, that I wrote the lyric to and Christian wrote the music. And we really wanted to put that out. Uh, We we made a really cool soundtrack album of all the orchestral music and all the cues that didn't make it into Sully. But we wanted to release these songs on our own as well. So uh, as we looked at something that would give us a real wide panorama, we thought, you know, film music is a is a great jumping off point. And so we started.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And this is an interesting project, um, in that you're releasing it as a series of EPs month to mm-hmm. month. And mm-hmm. then of course, is it come June, right?
0: Well, actually I think we're gonna we're gonna release the final project, the or not the final project, we're gonna release the the compilation physical CD in May. We decided that we're gonna release okay. it a little earlier, but we're gonna continue to release these chapters of the story, kind of. And we just released one that is five songs by Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who are uh, my dear friends. And the band has all worked with them a lot over these 25 years for different things. Um, And one idea was to do an entire Bergman record because we, we are so close to their music and to them for so many years but we thought, why don't we just expand it and and do a whole film project? But the next um, the next group of songs will be songs that were written in the 30s and 40s, and there'll be four of those. And so with each of these these acts, in in most of the acts, there's one or two things that won't end up on this physical CD, but uh, because the it would be too long. There's 15 songs on the 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 physical CD. Uh, and altogether there are 19 tracks on the whole project, but later, I think in September, there will be, uh, a digital project released of all 19 with the chapters and all the extra bells and whistles and everything.
1: Right. Very cool. And yeah, as, as you mentioned, the, the Bergman EP is out right now, It's released on February 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, you've one of the tunes on there How do you keep the music playing? You're actually singing a duet with Alan Bergman, who is 93 years young. Um, What was that like? You mentioned he's a dear friend. What was it like performing with, you know, someone I think you and I and a lot of people consider a songwriting legend?
0: Well, he really is. And I've been working with them for really the last better part of the last 20 years when they have songs that have never been recorded, they'll call me up and ask me to to record a version of the song so they can hear it. Wow. And that's how every now and then came about on this record, which is a song that no one's ever released before. And it's from, it was written with Dave Grusin to the theme of uh, Mulholland Falls. But through all these years doing those songs for Alan and Marilyn, uh, I got to get such specific lessons on how to read lyrics and you know what the traps are that singers fall into and what was the trickiest part of the lyric to write and the inside story of all of this stuff and so listening to him sing uh, their lyrics himself is always an absolute lesson for me
2: how do you keep the music playing Do you make it last? How do you keep the sun from fading to a
0: That was a pretty deep moment to record that with him.
1: I'm sure it was. Yeah. You know, why do you think their music is so enduring? Um, I mean, you listen to this stuff and it's timeless. It, it really sounds like it could could have come from any page of the Great American Songbook. What do you attribute right. that to?
0: I attribute that to conscious decisions that they made uh, early on. Uh, you know, in the '60s. Songwriting took a sort of a, a, a different tack, and and they don't criticize that at all. They they love a lot of the the songwriters. They love Joni Mitchell and they love Bob Dylan and they love a lot of these poets and and songwriters that started writing in a different style. But very early on, they decided they wanted to continue the tradition and the craft of writing in the tradition of the Great American Songbook. And what that means is a very specific discipline of rhyme scheme, of rhythm, of having the stress patterns of the lyric be the way that you would speak it. I mean, you can't imagine the lesson it's been to um, sing their lyrics uh, to something that no one has ever sung and and to have and to really understand the level of the craft. One of the examples I'll use that I think illustrates is, you know, the score they wrote for Yentl. Mm -hmm. There's a song called The Way He Makes Me Feel. And the the rhythm of the lyric is so much as if a person was speaking. It's, um, I feel as if I'm falling every time I close my eyes. And flowing through my body is a river of surprise. Feelings are awakening I hardly recognize as mine. I mean, imagine that Right. All, it's super clean. Like every rhyme is super clean, but it is exactly the way someone would speak it.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And, and, and this is not easy to do. This is not something you just do. It's not a stream of consciousness thing. It's a process right. they go through where they write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. Oh, it really is. Yeah. And it's in that tradition because Johnny Mercer was Alan's mentor. And so they studied at the feet of, you know, these guys. And it's, it's really amazing. They really are a link to that tradition. And that's why this stuff uh, endures.
1: And your homage to them is, is really very beautiful. Um, you know, I've heard it said that any instrumentalist worth his or her salt, if they're going to perform a song with lyrics— to really be able to interpret that song through their instrument, they should know the lyrics. I'm wondering, as you interpret film music, as you were, you know, putting together this program of music um, by the Bergmans, did you go back and watch these mu- movies just to get, you know, context for each song, and you know what the original actor um, may have kind of contributed to the songs and the lyrics and the mood and all that.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, A good example of that and knowing the inside story is Windmills of Your Mind, which is the first song they ever wrote with Michelle Legrand. And it won the Academy Award for Best Song. And it was, of course, from the Thomas Crown Affair. So they had a specific mission when they were writing that song. The director said that, that he wanted to underscore the anxiety and insomnia of Steve McQueen's character you know, he's sort of pulled off this heist and he doesn't know if he's going to get caught. And he's 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 in a state of intense anxiety. And I had heard that song so many times, but when I heard Alan perform it himself, I finally got the inside story without even talking mm. to him. And then he, he explained to me, I said, you know, I used to just think of that as sort of a, like the waters of March or something, where it's just a sort of a list of kind of random things in a way
1: totally me too
0: but it is not it's that the idea of when you're trying to sleep and you can't because your mind is going around and around and around and around and the climax of the song is the loss of love and the loss of a relationship when you knew that it was over in the autumn of goodbyes uh in the autumn of goodbyes for a moment, you could not recall the color of his eyes, which is the female version of the lyric. The, the male one is a mm-hmm. little different. But that whole idea that, you know, pictures hanging in a hallway and the fragment of a song, you know, all of these things. It's really an unbelievably great uh, psychological description of what your mind is doing when you can't sleep and when you're totally freaked out.
1: Right. It's a little more fraught than, you know. A lot of people you may have thought as they recall the song just from watching the movie. And right. your arrangement I think absolutely brings that out.
2: Around, like a circle in a spiral. Like a wheel within a wheel. Never ending more beginning. On an ever spinning reel, like a snowball down a mountain or a carnival of a balloon, like a carousel that's turning. You find in the of your
1: mind. Um, and you know that's a major kudos to you and and your band because you have a, a kind of a difficult endeavor here you have to on the one hand kind of retain the essence of the Bergman's or you know original lyrics and musical intent mm-hmm. but bring your own thing um
0: yeah I, that's it's always the challenge with things and it's especially necessary i think to to do something different when a song is kind of iconic and there's a couple of versions that people have heard a bajillion times right. you know and right. so they have an idea in their head and i i wanted to bring something new especially to this song and um and so I I played around with the time signature for actually years I was I was working on this one, and um, and the 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 seed of the idea came from me, and so I decided that I wanted there to be an unusual time signature, and so the bulk of the song I'm singing in 15/8. I'm doing a bar of four and then a bar of seven. Wow. And the reason for that is that I wanted there to be a sort of forward motion. Uh huh. Where there would be a beat that would fall off and the lyric would get a a wee bit faster. And so you would feel the, the, uh, sort of the rush of time in a sense and, and, and a heightened anxiety. And then later it goes into seven. So there's two beats that are, that fall off it goes from 15 to 14. So it's
1: anyway, it's no, and to your credit, I mean the the best composers and arrangers who use odd meter times, you know, it's at once noticeable, you feel it, but at the same time, totally not noticeable, you know, it feels so natural, um, that odd meter doesn't necessarily stick out. It's not a sore thumb. And that's certainly the case here. Um, like you say, contributes more to the overall mood. Um,
0: It's got to have a reason. You got to
1: have a reason. Absolutely. Hey, guys, this is Brian jumping in real quick. Just wanted to thank today's sponsors of the episode. Those include the 2019 St. Lucia Jazz Festival, produced in collaboration with jazz at Lincoln Center. The Fest is taking place May 4th through May 12th on one of the most beautiful islands in the Caribbean. Distinct experiences include a gospel jazz brunch on Mother's Day, jazz cruises under the stars, concerts in waterfront venues, and open-air performances with St. Lucia's landscape as a stunning backdrop. Tickets and hotel packages are on sale now. Visit stlucia.org to learn more. Another thank you to the 2019 Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Festival in downtown Norfolk Waterfront, Virginia, celebrating its 37th year. The fest is set for August 23rd through 24th. That's the perfect time to chill to the legendary sounds of top national smooth jazz and R&B recording artists. To check out the artist lineup, head on over to jazzes.com and click that Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Fest banner. Another thank you to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. Coming up for them on May 4th, a performance by the Yellow Jackets, including longtime members Russell Ferranti on keyboards, Bob Mincer on saxophone, and William Kennedy on drums, as well as the unit's most recent addition, Australian bass player Dane Alderson. Buy tickets at njpac.org. That's njpac.org. We'd also like to thank Smoke Sessions Records, who in May will be releasing a new album from legendary vocalist Mary Stallings. The album is called Songs Were Made to Sing, and it's due out on May 17th. On it, the incomparable vocalist has crafted an exquisite collection of classic songs to reflect on a life well and passionately lived. For more information on this and all other Smoke Sessions releases, visit the label's website at SmokeSessionsRecords.com. We'd also like to thank ECM Records. They've recently released an album by guitarist Bill Frisell and bassist Thomas Morgan. It's called Epistrophe. Like their previous acclaimed ECM release, Small Town, Epistrophe was recorded at New York City's hallowed Village Vanguard, once again capturing the rare empathy these two players achieve together in this intimate environment. The pieces are culled from the duo's beloved Americana songbook, together with poetic interpretations of pieces by Paul Motion, Billy Strayhorn, Thelonious Monk, and yes, another James Bond film theme. For more information, visit ecmrecords.com. And another big thanks to Blue Note Records. Exciting news for them, they've just signed a new vibraphone player named Joel Ross to their roster, and his debut for the label is slated for May 3rd. The album is called Kingmaker, and with it, Ross adds his name to an illustrious jazz vibraphone legacy on the legendary label that extends from Milt Jackson to Bobby Hutcherson to Stefan Harris and now to Ross. Visit bluenote.com to learn more. Thanks also to Deezer, an online music streaming service that offers over 53 million tracks and more than 100 million playlists. Deezer lets you discover artists you'll love with personalized recommendations from the Deezer editors. It's available in more than 180 countries and has over 14 million users and counting. We regularly post playlists to this platform. Our latest features the music of Esperanza Spaulding. To hear it, just visit Deezer.com and search for Jazz Is. And finally, we'd like to thank the Adrian Arsht Center for the Performing Arts here in Miami. Coming up for them on May 25th, Step Africa, a show that introduces audiences to Zulu and South African gumboot dance, sharing the step tradition of Africa and closing with a complex polyrhythmic percussive symphony. It's part of their free family fest, and more info is available at arshtcenter.org. All right, that's it for me. Let's go ahead and get back to the interview with Tierney Sutton.
2: Ah.
1: Tierney, do you consider yourself a movie person? Are you like a movie buff?
0: I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sure love them, and, uh, and, I, and I watch them a lot. And living in L.A., the industry's around me all the time. So I guess I think if you're in the entertainment business and you live in L.A., You kind of de facto become a movie person because you know my half of my friends are actors and you know all of that kind of stuff. LA life,
1: yeah. Do you have a favorite or
0: a favorite film?
1: Three-ish, yeah. I'm curious.
0: Well, my favorite movie, uh, and I should have I should have done a song from this one, but I didn't, uh, is Harold and Maude. That's my favorite movie. Wow, very nice. Yeah, and that's got all of those uh, great Cat Stevens songs in it.
1: Right, right, right. Which
0: we could have done because I know Trey loves that one too. But I think we were sort of, I don't know. There's just so much we could have done. We can do a screenplay too and do.
1: There you go. Yeah, get Cats, all of your favorite movies. Do you still find yourself going to the theaters or is that, because I'm old fashioned at all of 30 years old. I love Going to the theaters, I get my popcorn, I get my Twizzlers, which of course puts me back like seven hundred bucks. But there's something, right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> you know, I have to say that I I've only gone to see one one movie in a theater this year. I went to see Black Klansmen. but other than that, I haven't. I don't go out that much because I'm on the road and busy. And yeah, if I have a free day, staying home is really, really. Attractive to me, so I have to say I'm I'm pretty much a homebody, and I do watch a lot of things. You know, I watch Roma um, on on TV, but it, at least try to really Im- immerse myself in it. So it's I, I don't go as much as I would like to.
1: Well, that's all right. You picked a good one, you know, with a score by Terence Blanchard.
0: And yeah. Another
1: phenomenal uh, jazz score. So, you know, oh, if you're yeah. going to pick one. <laughs>
0: you yeah, a good no, one. it was great. It was wonderful. And that was so great that he got the Academy Award nomination. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, so who else will you be paying? You mentioned, uh, you know, songwriters of the 30s and 40s. Um who else? Any other uh, specific composers or films that you'll be paying tribute to in this uh, screenplay series?
0: Well, in when we get to the '60s and '70s, or when we get to the '50s and '60s, we're uh, going to do Paul Simon's uh, "Sound of Silence." Awesome! And I—that's I, a really special arrangement that that uh, came from the mind of Ray Brinker and Trey Henry. Um, And that's a cool one. And that's that's a film that's a little bit like Harold and Maude in that basically they just took Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel's stuff and and put it all over the film. And I watched it again recently because, as you said, I I wanted to sort of get inside how these songs were used. You know, that song, uh, Sound of Silence, occurs in its entirety two times in The Graduate. It's amazing. Yeah, they have a whole, they have, they play all the way through once and then all the way through again in another montage. Wow. It's really amazing how, how the, the, the music in that film is really a character. And I, I thought, okay, this is really justified to use this one. Hello,
2: darkness, my old friend. Because of visions so-
1: totally and this is you know you excel in a lot of places but you know translating the music of some of these popular songwriters into a jazz idiom is really just where you thrive you're so good at it I'm thinking of your tribute album to Sting and to Joni Mitchell and Paul Simon who is one of my all time favorite singer songwriters um do you, do you kind of enjoy that challenge of translating what we'll call, you know, an outside language into the jazz idiom?
0: I do. Uh, the tricky part is, you know, having hung out with Alan and Marilyn as much as I have, the song there's a real high standard for those songs. You know, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not so easy. And the reason is not that they aren't good songs, a lot of them. It's that sometimes. When you take the song out of its natural habitat, you know, when you take it out of the the, the funky bass line that everyone hears every time they hear it, the song doesn't thrive anymore. Hmm. And that's sort of the difference between, I think, a great song and a good song that's a hit and that everybody loves. It might be the production. It might be the arrangement. It might be the funky drummer that just, you know, killed it on that record that made it such a hit. And then when you take away any of those elements, right. suddenly there, there isn't a lot of there there. <laughs> but when there is, it's really, really fun. And so the, the trick is to finding the songs that, that, can, that can stand up under the abuse, you know, and under a microscope.
1: Well, and of adding your own X factor. I mean, it kind of sounds like what you were talking about before. Some songs, they just have this magic element. You know, that yeah. if you remove it, you know, you lose it. Um, right. But your job, and again, you do it so well, is adding your own, whether it's your own kind of funky meter or funky bass line or cool, you know, kind of vocal thing. I mean, uh, it's adding that magic that you really do. So they, the whole band does so well. Um, and it's remarkable. I just want to say that this band has been together in more or less the same configuration, Right. Yeah. Um, for more than 25 years that's incredible
0: yeah. yeah no it's it's unheard of i don't i don't really know anybody that's had much of a much longer run i mean maybe uh keith jarrett with gary peacock mm-hmm. and jack dejanet they they played for a very long time but you know that band it, it's, it's sort of a different thing they would get together and do a tour they 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 didn't you know, they, they would improvise together, right. which is great. And that's, that's, that's a, a phenomenal thing, but we sit down and go into the trenches and try to, try to create this stuff and, and make something that, that we'll do again. So.
1: Absolutely. And how do you just keep up the good chemistry and good rapport? Is there, is it just that you guys are like family at this point and
0: well, it comes I, that's, naturally? That's definitely part of it, but also um, we made some choices back in the early 2000s. We decided to incorporate, and so we're mm-hmm. really partners. And when wow. the Tierney Sutton band does something, we're you know we make all the decisions together, and we all we, we're incorporated. And you know, I just got my tax, you know, oh, yeah. A1 a one from yeah. the corporation, <laughs> and all of that stuff. So Fun stuff. Yeah. So people really, we we really um, have a, have an investment in, in, in this band. It's, it's been a challenge more to, to translate that to, um, the public, you know, um, because the difference in people's minds, unfortunately, between just me and the Tierney Sutton band, it's hard to differentiate in people's minds, but it's a very different thing. And, 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 We all do other projects too. You know, my Joni Mitchell record wasn't with the band and it was fun and great and I love doing it and the guys all do a million things with other people. But then there is the Tierney Sutton band and it's a specific thing. And uh, uh, I think we all really enjoy it and we've all really grown uh, from the influence of one another.
1: Awesome. Well, Tierney, thank you so much for sitting down with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Have a good one. Take
2: care. Bye. Bye.
1: All right. And once again, that was Tierney Sutton. Her new album, Screenplay, will be released in installments through the month of May. Visit her online at tierneysutton.com for updates. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. As always, the theme song for Backstage Pass comes from newly crowned American Pianist Association champion, Emmett Cohen. It's from his album Masters Legacy series, volume one. By the way, if you like the way Jazzes sounds on air, you're going to love the way we look in print. Visit jazzes.com to sign up for our digital and print subscription today. It's a jazz website when you need it and an award-winning print magazine when you want it. That'll do for today's episode. I'll see you next time backstage.